in the early part of the 19th century, every town of a decent size was busy electrifying itself. And by the mid-1920s, there were more than 600 local electricity networks around the country. Welcome to 100 Years, 100 Objects, stories from the collections of Lancaster City Museums. My name is Rachel Roberts, and I'm the Collections Registrar for Lancaster City Museums. In this series, we're celebrating 100 years of our museums by looking in depth at 100 of our favourite objects and the stories that they can tell. This episode should be electrifying because we're looking at an object which tells a story of a little-known aspect of the history of Lancaster and Morecambe and how the area got its power. Today's object is a ceremonial padlock from the Caton Road power station. Although it has a hinge and a keyhole, the padlock we are looking at today doesn't actually work. Instead, it was a ceremonial item created to commemorate the opening of the Caton Road power station. It's made from a gold-coloured metal and is 16cm tall and 10.5cm across. The design is quite plain, but across the front is engraved, with this lock, Sir John F. C. Snell, Chairman of the Electricity Commissioners, formally opened the Caton Road Generation Station on Thursday 26th of June 1924. To find out more about this station and how Lancaster and Morecambe generated its own power, we spoke to Professor Gordon Walker from the Lancaster Environment Centre at Lancaster University. He started by introducing us to the object and telling us about the first sparks in the story of the Caton Road Station. So this is a ceremonial dummy padlock. It's quite big and chunky and shiny. It sits quite heavily in your hand. It was never intended as a functional padlock to be actually used for locking something up. Rather, it was a bit of a fashion at the time to include a padlock as part of the sort of symbolism of opening a new public building. So notionally, you're unlocking the padlock and unlocking the doors of the new building for business. So this padlock was used in the formal opening ceremony of the Caton Road Electricity Generating Power Station on the 26th of June 1924, so that's nearly 100 years ago. Many of us may not know that there was a power station on Caton Road, but there was for quite some time, and it was a significant part of the local sort of energy infrastructure. So the padlock has engraved on it that the opening ceremony was presided over by Sir John F.C. Snell, then Chairman of the Electricity Commissioners, it says, and it was given to the museum by the Central Electricity Generating Board, who were in charge of the power station when it was eventually shut down in the 1970s. So although the padlock was used at the opening ceremony in 1924, the actual power station buildings and the turbines and technology in them predated that. So they were first put in place in 1915 at this location on Caton Road, which is on the banks of the River Loon, just by the canal viaduct over the river, if people are familiar with that. At this time, the electricity generation was just for a specific use, which was to power the machinery and lighting in the big national projectile factory, which was operated by Vickers for the Ministry of Munitions. It was important for the First World War effort. It was producing mortars and shells, and it employed about 9,000 men, boys and women by 1918. And it had its own electricity generators. So this factory shut down in 1922, 
and the power station part of it was taken over by the Lancaster Corporation, which might sound like it's a business, but it was actually the equivalent of the city council at the time. The opening ceremony was to sort of mark the point at which this became a, a sort of public asset. So along with what we would normally think about as the roles of a city council, the Lancaster Corporation was responsible for supplying energy to the consumers in the district. So it acted as a sort of municipally owned power company. It both generated and supplied electricity to the city, and it had been doing that since 1894. But electricity use was rapidly growing at the time. Um, this was a very new, exciting form of energy. It was sort of invisible. It wasn't like burning a candle or burning wood or coal. By taking over the Caton Road power station, uh, the turbines that had been part of the factory, this provided a solution for Lancaster Corporation to markedly increase the amount of electricity it could supply to local consumers. We wanted to know more about the station itself, whether it was unique and unusual, or whether it was a carbon copy of others that you could find around the UK. Carbon copy is a good phrase to use for a coal-fired power station. Um, and it was fairly typical of power stations at the time. So it was powered by coal, which was brought to the site by rail along the railway line that ran along the River Loon, which is now the route of the cycle track, which people may be familiar with. And it drew water out of the river, which is always important for power stations to have a source of cooling water. All the electricity it generated was used locally, so it's just a local supply network, which was also very typical of other power stations around the country. The electricity was used for public street lighting, which had spread around the city over the last few decades, for powering the tram system, which was in place in the early 1900s and was also run by the Lancaster Corporation. It supplied businesses and domestic customers as well, although electricity use in the home in the 1920s was very much more limited than we're used to now. Back in the 1920s, electricity generation largely came from burning coal. The only other real source of electricity generation was from some hydroelectric power that was generated at turbines, at dams or weirs. But what was really different from today was the lack of a national grid. In the early part of the 19th century, every town of a decent size was busy electrifying itself. And by the mid-1920s, there were more than 600 local electricity networks around the country, each supplied by its own coal-fired power station. And what was significant about Sir John Snell, who was the special guest for the opening ceremony, was that he was at the forefront of working out how to connect all these separate local grids up into a national network that could be more efficient, reliable, and supply electricity to more of the country as a whole. So he served as the first chairman of the Electricity Commissioners from 1919 to 1938, during which time what we now know is the national grid effectively came into being. And that was the first attempt to create a nationally managed grid anywhere in the world. So how did the power station develop from these early years? So when the national grid was being formed, some of the smaller, pre-existing, less efficient power stations were shut down. But the Caton Road power station survived and it was chosen to be part of the grid system. It formed a node along the major north-south transmission line that ran all the way from Kilmarnock in Scotland down to Carlisle to Lancaster to Stoke-on-Trent to Bristol and then all the way down to Cornwall. So the geography of the Caton Road power station in Lancaster was good for feeding into the backbone of the grid network. 
That meant a connection had to be made between the local grid and the national grid, which was done through a substation that was built just east of the Caton Road site. So that was a significant addition to what was there. And that substation still exists. It's still at that location. The electricity generation capacity also increased over the years. There was a big investment in new high-pressure boilers and turbines in the 1940s that increased its megawatt generation capacity by over 400%, so that was a big deal. And then also very significant was that in 1948, the power station was nationalised as part of the overall nationalisation of the electricity system immediately post-war. So it was no longer owned by Lancaster Corporation as a sort of municipal city asset. Instead, it became owned and operated by the British Electric Authority, which was a new national organisation. And that eventually became the Central Electricity Generating Board, or CEGB. Why did such a useful and well-placed power station eventually shut down? So it was closed in the 1970s as part of a wave of power station closures in the northwest and other parts of the country. So there'd been a lot of investment nationally during the 1960s in much bigger, more efficient power stations around the country using new technologies, including the programme of nuclear power station building. So there was a real sort of overcapacity of supply, meaning that they started a programme of shutting down older, smaller power stations, including the one on Caton Road. And there's a great photograph in the Lancaster Museum archive capturing part of that process. This photo is of the closing ceremony for the older low pressure or LP part of the power station. So that's the one that had been operating from the 1920s onwards for nearly 50 years. The ceremonial padlock, amazingly, again features in this photograph being handed to a Mrs Tyson. I don't know who Mrs Tyson was or why she's significant, but she's surrounded by a crowd of male onlookers in their suits and ties. Eventually, in 1976, the whole power station was decommissioned and taken out of operation by the CEGB. The site was cleared, and it's now pretty much where the Denison Trailers business is located. We asked Gordon how things have changed across the UK since the closure of the Caton Road station. Well, things have changed a lot, there's no doubt about that. There are no more coal-fired power stations in the northwest at all. Nationally, across the UK, there are only two left, and the plan is to phase those out in 2024. So that's a big change, but it's very good in terms of carbon emissions and climate change because coal is the most polluting way to generate electricity. Instead now, nationally, we have gas-fired power stations, which will also need to be phased out in due course, so they turn gas into electricity, in effect. But gas is still a fossil fuel, it's still carbon, so we'll need to get rid of that. We have nuclear power, including at Hesham, although that station is getting near to the end of its life, and there are major issues about investing in new nuclear power. Most exciting for me is what we're seeing with the rapid growth in renewable forms of energy. And we can see that locally in the local landscape, in the massive offshore wind farms in Morecambe Bay that we can sometimes see on the horizon. The onshore wind turbines that sort of scattered around the landscape. Solar farms in the region, including further down the River Loon in Stoday. And all these solar PV panels on businesses, farm buildings, public buildings and people's homes. So 
they're all now contributing significantly to our electricity supply. But we have a still a long way to go to decarbonize all of our energy use. And that's not just about electricity, it's all about the energy and the transport system as well. And in some parts of the world, coal burning is still dominant. So, you know, it's not as if the world has moved away from coal, even though the UK has. But here in Lancaster, electricity generation is certainly very different to when the Caton Road Power Station was first established and when electricity was this sort of new and amazing thing that we're now very used to. Back then, obviously, we weren't really aware of the scale of the global pollution problems that we were busy creating when we were burning all of that coal. Before he left, we had to ask Gordon about how the history of the power station played a part in the extended power cuts experienced by the area in the wake of the 2015 floods. As is often said, history matters. Um, We sometimes can't escape it in a very sort of physical way. It sort of hangs around and has consequences uh, over time. So listeners may remember the big Lancaster flood of December 2015, when the River Loon rose to an unprecedented level, overtopped its banks in various places, including along Caton Road. What we also experienced in the city at the same time was a major and extended power cut where for about a week we were living either with no electricity at all or very unstable electricity supply that was coming and going almost randomly and made everyday life pretty strange and difficult. Now why did that power cut happen? Because electricity substation on Caton Road next to the power station originally was submerged by the floodwater. And as you can imagine, water and electricity substations don't mix very well. People said at the time, well, why was a substation in such a vulnerable location next to the river? Now, that's a sort of crazy thing to do. Well, the answer, obviously, is in the history of over 100 years ago of the National Projectile Factory and then the establishing of the Caton Road Power Station. It made sense for the factory and the power station to be in that location next to the river near the railway line, and for the substation connecting the national grids to the local network to be next to the power station. And the substation stayed there even after the power station had closed down, because that's where all the network cabling came together. This was a sort of sunk investment. It would have been enormously complicated to move it somewhere else. And nobody expected the River Loon to be that full of water. This was a really sort of unprecedented scale of flooding. But along comes decades and decades of carbon emissions leading to climate change and such extreme events become more likely. And the substation has now had to undergo a major programme of investment to make it more resilient from future expected flooding. So there's a sort of irony that the location that generated carbon emissions for over 50 years, contributing in a small part to climate change, then suffered from its consequences, a sort of rebound of cause and effect in that one location and a sort of nice microcosm of changing energy system priorities and challenges over the past hundred years. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of 100 Years, 100 Objects. We hope you will plug into some of our other episodes where we talk about everything from religious iconography to the right to vote.